a congressional primary amid protests and a pandemic. I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Uh, Jarrett, how are you doing today? I am doing all right, Ben. How are you? Yeah, doing okay. I mean, obviously, it's, uh, it's a time of uh, a lot of struggle and a lot of um, wrestling with what's going on in the world. Uh, you know, things seem even more... Uh, serious and, and troubling and tragic than uh, even when we were just sort of focused on a deadly and devastating pandemic that was um, having such public health and social and economic impacts. And now, of course, we have um, you know a great deal of unrest related to uh, police brutality and, and all that comes with that and the protests we've seen here in New York City and, of course, um, around the state, around the country and even around the world. Yeah, obviously, beginning with a very, very unsettling, um, devastating incident, uh, I guess now about 10 days ago in Minneapolis, a video that we all saw, a horror we all shared in. And then, of course, over the past several days, um, so a lot of peaceful protest, some very unpeaceful activity and uh, a police response that has come under a lot of scrutiny. And you're right, Ben, I think partly, of course, the COVID-19 death counts and hospitalization numbers and case counts were coming down. We were beginning to turn the page at least to the next phase of dealing with that pandemic. But it is remarkable how the events of the past few days regarding policing and protest have totally pushed, at least in my mind anyway, COVID to the to the back burner, which is something I wouldn't have thought was possible uh, two or three weeks ago. And important elements to what's going on, one of which is this idea that um, while for months people were really mostly doing what they were asked to do by public health officials and other government officials in terms of trying to reduce the spread of the virus, you have this major incident and, of course, everything that it's, a, it's attached to. And I think one important thing to remind many people who seem to not quite grasp this is that these protests are not simply about one incident in Minneapolis. Um, and I think, you know, many people are in tune with that in New York City, where uh, obviously there was a very similar incident with Eric Garner six years ago. But um, but still, some some seem not to be some seem to not quite get that um, <laughs> that this is about much more than than one incident in Minneapolis. Um, but but as we sort of see the response to that, there's this really important question of whether uh, these mass protests will have a negative impact on the city's fight against the pandemic. And, you know, some of those concerns have been raised, but we also interestingly saw the mayor sort of never really try to tell people we're still in too vulnerable of a position with this virus. You should not be uh, gathering to protest. And maybe he just realized it would be futile to say that. But I think that's been one of the in the big picture, um, you know, one of the most important elements of, of how these things have converged. Yes, I was struck by that. And uh, on Saturday, I covered the protest that originated in Harlem with a rally and then a march to the FDR drive. And I was struck that almost everyone was wearing masks. I was very impressed by that. But it just at first people began trying to do the social distancing, but it became impossible. And so I think most people in that march, and it was several hundred people, came into contact with more bodies than they had since the second week of March. And so, you know, I was concerned both for myself and my family and everyone there that, that it might be, if there was any disease to be spread um, like COVID, that it could be uh, an event we look back at as a, as a place where it spread rapidly. Uh, hopefully that won't be the case. But it is interesting that 
De Blasio did a few weeks ago when some protests broke out say that they basically were not allowed under the pause order. Um, and as you mentioned, he's not gone back to that line this week because I think he understands the outpouring of feeling is just too great for that kind of a, an argument to work. But this ties into what we're going to focus on in the special third half hour of our program today. We'll have on the district attorney of Brooklyn, Mr. Eric Gonzalez, to talk about uh, not just these protests and the policing issues of the moment, but the bigger questions about the criminal justice reform conversation, the discussions about racism in policing, and this uh, not never-ending cycle of uh, violence against uh, black people perpetrated by some officers of the law. That's what we'll do in the last part of our show from 6 o'clock on. And before that, Ben, we'll have on a couple of candidates. Yes, we're continuing some of our exploration here on the show and in other work that Gotham Gazette and City Limits are doing uh, of the congressional races that are coming up uh, this month. Um, you know, folks obviously have been focused on uh, the pandemic and its fallout, uh, so many issues related to that. Then we have, as we've been discussing here, um, you know, the incident in Minneapolis and everything that's tied to that and the reaction. But there are also elections happening this month here in New York. A huge slate of races will be on the ballot this month. Uh, there's the June 23rd primary day, but of course, there's also early voting starting June 13th going to June 21st. And as we've discussed on the show before, all voters can vote absentee by gubernatorial order, but you have to get an absentee ballot application, send that back, get the ballot, send that back in order to vote. These are closed party primaries, so most of the action, as usual in New York City, is on the Democratic side. And one of those races uh, is, a new, is the 10th congressional district, uh, which is mostly in Manhattan on the west side and, and parts of Brooklyn. And that is where incumbent Representative Jerry Nadler is facing two challenges in the Democratic primary. And we'll have his two challengers with us today. Lindsey Boylan will join us soon in just a matter of a couple of minutes. And Jonathan Herzai will be on just a little bit to talk about their campaigns and their attempts to unseat longtime Representative Nadler in the Democratic primary happening this month. As a matter of fact, I believe that Ms. Boylan is on the line, and so we'll welcome to Maxim Murphy, Lindsay Boylan. She is a Democrat running for the nomination, the Democratic nomination in the 10th District. She is a former Deputy Secretary of Economic Development for New York State, appointed by Governor Cuomo, and now she is a candidate. Welcome to Maxim Murphy. Thank you so much for having me, gentlemen. Can you hear me okay? Yes. You can. You hear you fine. Okay. So uh, we'll ask a question that I'm sure you've been asked before. It's you run into a voter on the street. You have 45 seconds before he or she loses interest or catches a cab. What do you say to them about yeah. why you're running and the, the vision of your candidacy? I mean, if, if it's someone who's still in the city, uh, which a huge percentage of our community has left, um, they don't need me to tell them that it's in disarray and their leaders have failed them. And if they have left, it shouldn't take that for their leaders to act. It shouldn't take that for their leaders to do something. This happens to be the most unequal district in the country. This happens to be a predominantly white district that was designed that way, which is also really messed up. There are, There is every kind of issue in this community to deal with, and we need serious people who are going to wake up every day and deal with that, whether it's post-pandemic, whether it's the... Um, pandemic of racism in this country that's been with us since our founding, or whether it's economic recovery after this crisis and this failure of leadership, we're going to need serious people. 
and I have both been inside of government at serious levels, and I've found myself now outside of government at serious levels, and that is the kind of person you need, uh, someone who's just walked out of a protest serious about the city, who loves the city, who's been who's only been an adult in this city, and that's what you need, and that's not what they have. So that's tell, what I want them to know. Tell us a more about some of that experience that you want to highlight for people. You said serious experience inside, inside the government. Um, you know, without, without going through your whole resume, what are a couple of things to know about? Okay, a few things. So I was basically the jobs person for the state of New York. Uh, I didn't think that would be a top-line issue in this race a year ago, but it absolutely is because we are in a Great Depression and we are going to need people who understand how to deal with that. And someone who's been a lifelong politician and never been anything else isn't going to help you with your problems related to getting a job, keeping it, and figuring out how to make sense of this world. Uh, so that's the first thing I'd like them to know. Uh, I led the state's recovery work in um, Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria. And I've spent a whole career thinking about how we recover after climate-related disasters. And we need people who don't ignore the climate change excuse me, the climate disaster we're facing and deal with it head on. We need people who know how to manage through crisis, whether it's climate related or it's related to civil unrest like this. And I've spent my whole career doing that. Um, and we need people who care about the issues that have gone unaddressed for virtually our entire country's history, like mental health. More people in Manhattan are Googling before this crisis anxiety, depression, and therapy than gun control, climate change, and plumber combined. And that's just to tell you we've got a lot of problems we haven't been thinking about, talking about, or dealing with for our entire history. I'm a mom in our community. I didn't come from here. I'm the kind of New Yorker who moved here and became a New Yorker because I found my way here. And uh, I love this place. And I am absolutely distraught and angry about what's happening to it. And I think it's okay to have those feelings as long as we deal with them constructively. And um, we've got a lot of recovery to do. We've got a lot of uh, making it right to do. And I'm committed to that. And I've spent an entire career dealing head-on with difficult problems and questions. And even, you know, having a willingness to say when I'm wrong and figuring out how to find an environment that's better. I mean, a lot of people ask me, you know, were super progressive how I could ever work for Cuomo and what I would say to that is I learned a lot and then I also learned that I couldn't stay in that environment and do what I wanted to do and I think that's the kind of person we need who is self-reflective endlessly tenacious and smart and uh, that's what I'm going to be that's who I am and I don't think Nadler's a bad guy I think he's a per perfectly nice man so you know, you can vote for me and think he's a nice man you can just vote for me knowing that I'm going to accomplish a lot more and help help deal with the pain in our city. Let's talk about that a little bit more, because obviously you're, sure. you're a candidate in and of yourself. There is another candidate we'll speak to later. But a race like this is inevitably a referendum on the incumbent to some degree. Uh, Jerry sure. Nadler, what has he done wrong or what has he not done sure. uh, that you would have done if, if you were in office over the past two years? Sure. I'll say, I'll say a few main categories. One, uh, it took him three decades to pass a handful of things into law of his own uh, to lead on. Uh, one of those is naming a building after the guy who died in office so he could get the seat. Uh, I think there's maybe two substantive things he's responsible for getting done, 
and that is just unacceptable in such a blue district where you should be leading more than most of the country. So leadership and legislation of your own. Um, I think on issues like FISA and um, surveillance and privacy and holding tech accountable, he is absolutely on the wrong side of history. And it's not clear now, but it's going to be very clear in the next few years how wrong he has been. Um, and I totally disagree with him as a child and adult and product of the technological age. My, uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg was the same age as me uh, when I went to school at Wellesley and he was at Harvard. And uh, we are on the wrong side of history. And I do not accept that someone can take the biggest, you know, who, who can take corporate money from both Google and Facebook. And those are his biggest corporate donors. It's totally unacceptable. He's on the wrong side of the philosophical debate policy debate and also you know the willingness to take all this money directly from corporations is totally unacceptable and then the third piece you know a measure of who who you have representing you is what the money they bring back to the district and the gateway tunnel for instance has been one of the single most important infrastructure projects for this community that holds the cards to this community's future for decades the same is true of uh, finally getting the federal government to be accountable for NYCHA, New York City's public housing. The man either has been absent or paying lip service to those issues. And I just know that we're moving into a moment where we need people to be accountable. And I'm happy to be accountable. I know that I'm never going to be the most popular person because when you go into politics, you sign up for that. But you absolutely need to be someone who's willing to accept responsibility. And between creating his own legislation that changes people's lives, um, a willingness to, uh, you know, he's not been right on issues of technology, which are going to influence our lives more than most things in this generation, corporate PAC money and infrastructure money for this district. Uh, he's been on the wrong side. And I'm, I'm sorry, I'm hearing the protests that I've been a part of are coming closer to it. So if you can't hear me, um, just let me know. Thank you. And we should mention that we initially conceived of this program as a debate. We invited uh, Jonathan Herzog and Ms. Boylan, who you're listening to now, and and Congressman Nadler. He declined to appear, so we we changed the format a bit. But just a narrow uh, follow-up on one thing you mentioned. Nadler was elected for the first time in 92. Two years later, it was a Republican revolution. So a lot of his time in Washington... Democrats did not have the majority. Just as a as a kind of you know as someone who's been involved in government, is it fair to look at his like tally of legislation as the sole indicator of whether he's been productive or not? Given that for a lot of the time there, a lot of Democrats weren't that productive. Well, nothing is fair to look at it within the lens of one thing alone. But when I was in second grade, when he came into Congress, like I think you were Ben, um, or around there, I think we're about the same age. Um, you know, we've had a lot of different administrations. And is it fair to never hold our politicians accountable just because they don't have the leadership crew they want? I mean, let's compare him to any of other members of the New York City delegation in Congress. He's actually gotten a lot less done than the others have. Look at Nidia Velasquez, who isn't some great friend of mine. She's best friends with Nadler. She's gotten a lot more done than he has. And uh, I don't really know what that's about. I think it's really unfortunate because the man represents me. Um, but I don't think you get a free pass just because you've had a hardship. Uh, I don't see many Americans getting a free pass because they get to explain themselves. I don't see many New Yorkers getting a free pass because it's been hard to do well here. I mean, imagine getting, you know, getting the opportunity to have that excuse for why you haven't been able to succeed, 
succeed in journalism. You don't get that because no one gets that. Why should we give that to politicians who can't succeed in helping their community through pain over three decades? So, so um, acknowledging that um, Representative Nether has been in office for, for quite some time, um, has obviously had a very high profile given the position um, that he was sure. awarded by the speaker. Uh, you win this race, you're coming in obviously in a very different situation. How do you sure. account for that difference um, in, in sway and seniority and what it would mean sure. for the That's a great question. I'm not running to replace him. I'm running to represent our community. Uh, You know, Zoe Zoe Lufgren, Zoe Lufgren almost beat him for chair of the judiciary. And I wish she would have because she has a lot more experience with impeachment. She has a lot more experience with immigration policy. Her district, demographically speaking, is very similar to ours. And I'd love to see a woman run the judiciary, just as an aside, a selfish one. Uh, I am not running to replace this man. I am simply running to represent our community. And what I've observed is I, you know, talk to people throughout the district is a lot of people's pain hasn't been listened to. And it's very frustrating. Um, Six months ago, I would have said it to you much more calmly, but we are in a different time. And it makes it all the more sharp that we have people representing us who literally only go to political clubs, who literally got elected because someone died and county committee chose them to be the one replacing the last older white man who served the community. And I just think that time has to be over. Um, I, I'm, I'm literally looking around me in New York City. I came here almost two decades ago and we have gone back in time. I'm, I've walked up uh, Fifth Avenue and buildings are being boarded up. I walked up Fifth Avenue, and um, I'm really sad for our community. And it's not all on him. It's on my former boss. It's on our mayor, and I've been pretty vocal about that. But you don't get to abdicate responsibility. If you choose this career in spite of the fact that you're going to be on the hook, you've got to be prepared for that. And um, I am, because... It means enough to me to try and make things better. And I promise you this, I don't care if there's a Republican in the White House for my entire time in Congress, I will never give an excuse that I couldn't help my community because there was a Republican in the White House. I just think that's completely bankrupt as an idea. And that's not your idea. You know, I'm not trying to focus on you. I'm just saying that's what I've heard for a year. And boy, is it coming to, um, you know, are we coming to rue that day where we where we accepted that philosophy? So you mentioned the boarded up windows. We're obviously seeing the impacts in our city over the past two or three months of two kind of major existential threats, racial injustice and infectious disease. Obviously, another one out yep. there is climate change. You've made that yep. a, a hallmark of your campaign. What exactly can Washington do at this stage to try to avert it? or to try to brace for it better? How can, as a congresswoman, you better protect New York against the changing climate? I'd say there are two things. Um, One is I do firmly believe in a version of the Green New Deal. I don't think we should minimize it. I don't think we should euphemize it like uh, Nancy Pelosi has in calling it the Green Dream, making fun of it. Um, She's not going to be alive when we have to deal with it. 
Um, so I do believe in a massive moonshot infrastructure project that will have to come with the Great Depression we're dealing with, and it has to be focused on, um, you know, a post-fossil fuel world. So I believe in that. I think it's coming. It may not come before the presidential election, but that is a huge, it has to be a huge opportunity for us. And the thing I realized when I oversaw the state's recovery work in Puerto Rico was we're not even ready to deal with the reality we already have of climate-related disasters. Not only did I oversee the state's recovery work in Puerto Rico, but I also oversaw um, the state's Office of Storm Recovery, which is still seven years after Hurricane uh, Maria, uh, excuse me, Hurricane Sandy, uh, administering funds to help New York recover. Seven years on, we are still recovering. And the biggest reality I found, I think, was in how ill-equipped our federal government is to deal with crises that are already occurring with increasing climate-related disasters. We had Puerto Rico, um, Puerto Rico's Hurricane Maria fighting with Texas uh, flooding, fighting with California forest fighters, forest fires, fighting with 9-11 victim compensation fund for money in the appropriations process of the federal government. That is such a bankrupt reality. I think one of the, the best things and skills that I have is an interest and a desire and a passion to work on the fine policy and operational details that actually make a difference in people's lives and make a difference in on these big policy issues. I'll give you a great example that doesn't relate to climate change but says how I'm much better to deal with it. I mean, the big reason we should have been giving people $2,000 non-means-tested checks at the beginning of this public health crisis was because our unemployment system was never going to accommodate getting people the help they needed in real time. Um, and, of course, you've probably heard, you know, you probably had guests on this show um, several times talking about how much pain there is simply because people cannot get through to the sources of help, even if they qualify for it. And, uh, you know, there's the policy and then there's operationalizing the policy. And I think one of the great talents I have, I don't think, I know, one of the great talents I have is figuring out how to operationalize helping people. And I think we're going to need to do a lot of that with respect to climate change that we are already experiencing. So um, on, on the horizon, I'm very focused on a Green New Deal. Uh, we don't need, we can call it whatever the hell people want to. Um, the reality is we're going to have to act on a green infrastructure bill. We're going to have to act on a Green New Deal in the short term. And we are going to have to entirely revamp how we do appropriations, how FEMA works, how HUD works, how all of these things work to help people in crisis related to climate-related disasters. And um, it sounds super nerdy because it is, but this is my great talent and my great passion. Uh, two, two more questions. We've got just a few more minutes sure. with you, but uh, Lindsay Boylan is sure. joining us. She's a challenger in New York's 10th congressional district, trying to unseat Representative Jerry Nadler in the primary that's happening this month. Uh, for Democrats. Um, one is you already sort of um, seem to allude to it a little bit, but but maybe describe just a little bit more the type of style of representation and leadership you would bring to the position. If you sure. can capture for voters, you know, would people would you would it, it seems like this is not the case, but wondering if you would be, you know, a bit more of trying to be, you know, a sort of solid rank and file member of the Democratic, you know, sure. conference or uh, you know, someone who's a bit more of an outsider. Actually, and, I love this and, question. I love this question. Thank you. Ahead. I feel like it's like a, you know, an under, an under handball or whatever you call it, baseball, where it's like an easy thing to hit. Um, so 
I moved from Southern California to Northern Virginia when I was in high school. Did not fit in. Hated it. Real culture shock. I found my place in the world because I cut school, went to Capitol Hill, listened to Hillary Clinton give a speech, was inspired, decided to go to Wellesley College, wanted to be student body president like she was because she that helped her change the world and change her life. And I did all of those things. I succeeded. And then I worked for Andrew Cuomo, and I worked for the Dem- Democratic governor of New York, and I thought... This is it. And what I realized was it's not it. It is not enough. Sometimes you work within the system. Sometimes you work without it. And that doesn't mean that when I get to Congress and I have a lot of confidence that I can and that a lot of people want me to do what I need to do there to help them. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm going to play along or, I mean, excuse me, it doesn't mean that I'm not going to um, build coalitions. It simply means that I'm not going to be willing to sacrifice my ethics and my morals in order to stay there. I would rather serve two terms and do what I need to do if it, if it meant that, I, you know, otherwise I would have to, um, you know, just play along and play nice and do so, whatever the speaker wanted me to, to do whatever the DNC wanted me mm-hmm. to. I, um, I will show up at rallies when it's warranted. I will meet with you know, whoever I need to on either side of the aisle when it's warranted, what I won't do is change what I know in my heart and my brain we need to do. And that's based off of listening to people in our community. And I would say one thing, just because I think it's important for people to have a sense of me. Um, I'm an introvert. I do not want to be the center of attention. When I see my face on posters, I hear my name. It takes a lot for me to prepare for these interviews. I got nervous for this one. I don't want to be in the middle of it. I just know I need to be doing this in order to make the change that is required. So I would love for people to know that it actually takes a lot for me as an introvert to show up and give a speech and whatnot. I much prefer to listen and act based on what I hear. And that's, you know, I think that's where I can have the most impact. But when you need me to, when anyone in our community needs me to, I'll show up and I'll speak and I'll act out because it's what's required. And just finally, and, and sorry, we just have about 30 more seconds, but um, I think no, you fine. mentioned very, you're in the political world, so it's, uh, it, it's part of the deal. But um, you mentioned early on in this discussion something about people um, leaving the district, and it seems like this district w- is, has been one of those that a lot of um, people have left during the pandemic. Yes. Do you have any yes. sort of quick insights for us into what you think that sure. means in terms of how um, this this election unfolds this month? Are, are we going to see um, a, a massive drop in voter participation from this district especially? Well, what I would say is this. This is the most unequal district in, in this country. So it's not at all surprising that um, when I walk on my block, all of the lights are off, and I walk on the next block, all of the lights are on. It's not surprising that at my kid's school, we're the only parents and kid in, still in town. It's not surprising that there's such unevenness in every part of this community. But what it is, is a real problem. And it's part of the reason why I feel so compelled to, to get an office and change things. I... You know, I have a, you know, I'm, I'm in a position now where I have a lot of privilege. I mm. didn't grow up with as much privilege. And um, that's really the kind of world I'm focused on okay. is well, where I came from and where other people came from. And what I would say is, and I know you, that's not what you asked, 
what I would say is I think you're going to see some fascinating things about voter turnout in terms of who actually shows up. And we already have some anecdotal information about um, who's actually voting and uh, someone who never overestimates herself because most women don't. Uh, I think there's a lot of reasons to be hopeful about change in this district, and I would not count us out. Okay. Well, uh, Lindsay Boylan, we appreciate the time, and we will, of course, be following uh, this race to its conclusion later this month. Hopefully, we'll have the results by the end of the month. Um, all the best, and thanks yeah. for the time. <laughs> That's great <laughs> for voting. <laughs> but, but thank you, gentlemen. 